Good morning, everybody. Come on in if you're in the foyer. Welcome to Theological Equipping Class. My name is Jared Lawson. Glad you guys are with us this morning. Sorry as I erase. I believe my children were the ones drawing on this last. There we go. Okay, let me pray for us, and then we will get going. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are a God we can approach. You are a God who uh, is not far off. Rather, you're a God who comes down. You're a God who reveals himself, uh, Lord, to us through uh, just coming down. You made known your ways to Moses, who you are. You reveal yourself in your son, ultimately. You don't just speak through prophets, but in these last days, you've re- revealed yourself. You've spoken once and for all through your son, who you are, we see in his glorious face. And you've given us your written word, where we don't have to close our eyes and read the tea leaves or the crystal ball and guess what you're like or what you want or anything like that. Rather, we can just look to the scriptures and know who our God is and know what you would have us do and know how you've drawn us into relationship with yourself through your son by your spirit. And so we pray, Lord, as we just look at um, this spiritual discipline of how to pray the scriptures, that you would use it to equip us, that we might come before you and speak uh, in prayer in response to your wonderful word. This might, uh, as it has for me, open the eyes of so many to just new depths in fellowship with you. And Lord, that quite simply we would just have the goal that we're after, which is glorifying you and enjoying you forever, delighting in your wonderful son through praying the scriptures. And so we pray these things in his wonderful name. Amen. Okay, so if you've been with us through the semester, you know we've been walking through our church's mission statement, our new mission statement, which is the Parkway Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ, who, three things, delight in him, display his love to one another, and declare him to the world. And so as you see uh, behind me, those three Ds have kind of been the flow of our theological equipping lessons this semester, delight, display, declare. Our relationship with God, one primarily of delight, our relationship with one another, displaying Jesus' love as, uh, as we interact with one another as the church, and then our relationship to the world. We declare him to the world. And so last week, Carl did an excellent job teaching uh, a, a display lesson, how, do, how are we meant to be distinct from the world as the church, and today we're going to look at delight, how to pray the Bible. So we've been walking through uh, the, the delight lessons. We walked through how to study the Bible. Lee gave a lesson towards the beginning of the semester, how to study the scriptures. I taught a few weeks ago on how to meditate on the Bible. And this is the kind of final piece to that flow, how to pray the Bible. Uh, Lee gave a acronym, whatever the word is. Roy Map, read, observe, interpret. When you come to the scriptures, read the Bible. Uh, observe what you see in the scriptures. Interpret the Bible. Meditate on the Bible. Apply the Bible, what you studied. And then lastly, pray in response to all that good study. So all these things go together, but this is the kind of final piece of that uh, quiet time, of the quiet time lessons, if you want to say it that way. So we'll look at three things in how to pray the Bible. This is something that has been uh, personally just incredibly transformative for me, learning how to do this, learning what this is. Similar to meditating on the Bible, I would say those two things in the past five years have been the most personally transformative as far as just walking with the Lord and, and communing with Him. So we'll look at three things. One, what is the typical problem of prayer? Uh, what is praying the Bible, the solution to the typical problem, and then how do we do it? We'll have a really big section on how to do it, and we'll do a lot. We'll do some exercises together, hopefully, just because I want to uh, equip you guys, again, to be able to do this, to understand what this is, so that when you can go home and get alone with the Lord, that this is uh, easy. Because I, I grew up in the church. I have never heard, had never heard of this until a couple of years ago. I never encountered just this kind of discipline of what does it mean to pray the Bible. And so again, because it's been so transformative to me, I I want us to be able to to grasp this. So let's look at the first thing, the problem of prayer. I imagine already in your mind, any lesson on prayer, no matter what the lesson is, the first thing that pops into all of our minds and perhaps weighs on our hearts a little bit is just this kind of low-level feeling of inadequacy. any topic of prayer or our prayer lives, most of the time, maybe not all the time, maybe you're just 
constantly thriving in your prayer life, but most of the time it's this source of discouragement. Uh, we put it in the category of it's this discipline that we know we should do, and we don't do that much. And so lessons on prayer basically just turned into a, a, a low-level guilt trip. You try harder, and then we show up again kind of a year later and have another lesson on prayer, and we're just stuck in that cycle for a long time. And that is the unfortunate reality for so many of us. Uh, and so I guess my first question for us is, why? Why is prayer so often a source of discouragement? Or to say it, I guess, a, a clear way, what are our typical problems in prayer? When we go to pray, what are some of the typical problems that make it discouraging? Betty? Yeah, not knowing how to pray, not knowing what to say. Great. What else? Sam? Huh? Yeah, repetitious. You just say the same thing over and over and over again. You guys don't have to raise your hands, by the way. Feeling unworthy? Yeah. The sense of which I'm, I'm, I've probably disappointed this one that I'm praying to, and so I've got to get him to like me before I really start asking him of things. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You're bad at it. Yeah. I'm not praying these great lofty things that I read in, you know, the Valley of Vision, all these great prayers of the saints, and then I'm just like asking these little puny things. Totally. Not seeing fruit from it. Not seeing fruit? Yeah, maybe feel like prayers aren't being answered. Distracted. Yeah, distracted, your mind constantly wandering, stuff like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, all these things, very normal. I think the range of, I mean, this is everything that y'all just said is something I wrestle with often and something that clearly we all wrestle with. This is a very common problem. And what does that typically, so all these things, very common, what does that typically lead to? How do we typically feel because of all these problems? Great. We feel great. <laughs> we feel sarcastically great. <laughs> yeah, discouragement. Guilt, yeah, it, it just, it, it's this terrible cycle of we feel inadequate because we don't feel like our prayers are good, which makes us feel more inadequate, which, which makes our, and so it's just this terrible cycle of discouragements. We're, uh, as Don Whitney would say in the quote we're about to read, maybe we're a little bit bored, which also makes us feel not great or sarcastically great, right? I mean, we're, we're talking to the king of the universe who thought up and created waterfalls, and I literally want to be doing anything else. But I know I'm supposed to, he's supposed to be my greatest joy, and so what's wrong with, and you just see this kind of perpetual cycle. All that is real, all that is normal. This is a very common problem in prayer. And Don Whitney, uh, who has one of the, wrote one of the books we'll give away today, says this, although there are an uh, unlimited number of things that we could pray, or we could talk to God about, many believers fall into the pattern of saying the same old things in prayer about the same old things in our lives. Sooner or later, that repetition will anesthetize our ability to focus and feel in prayer. The inestimable privilege of talking with God becomes, dare I say, boring. And so this is, this is very normal, this is a common problem, and it's not a new problem. Uh, George Mueller if you know anything about George Mueller, he was uh, what, what Charles Spurgeon is to preaching, right? The prince of preachers, George Mueller was to praying. He's the kind of known as this figure who is, is famous, or at least his, his story has lasted through the centuries because he had such robust prayer life. And he had this problem that we're all communicating, and then he found this great solution that we're going to talk about today in our uh, lesson. So look at this big, long quote. I'll read it because this is what revolutionized his prayer life. George Mueller said, before this time, my practice had been to give myself to prayer after having dressed myself in the morning. Now I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to reading of the word of God and to meditating on it, that thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed, and that thus, by the means of the word of God, while meditating on it, my heart might be brought into experiential communion with the Lord. The difference then between my former practice, right, just going in to pray, the difference between my former practice and my present one is this. Formerly, when I rose, I began to pray as soon as possible and generally spent all my time till breakfast in prayer. But what was the result? 
I often spent a quarter of an hour or half an hour or even an hour on my knees before being conscious to myself of having derived comfort, encouragement, humbling of soul, etc. And often having suffered much from the wandering of mind for the first 10 minutes or quarter of an hour or even half an hour, I only then really began to pray. Right? Just like us. We will pray and be bored for, we'll crank through that boredom for about an hour, then we'll really start praying. Or we give up after five minutes. Right? But you see, a lot of things we've said, he's saying. My mind is wandering. I'm bored. I'm not comforted. I'm just praying. I'm pushing against you know, the, the, the ceiling. And my prayers are bouncing back to me. And then he says, from my heart, or let's see where I am, sorry. I should stop talking. And often having suffered much from wandering a mind for 10 minutes, quarter of an hour, then I only really began to pray. I scarcely ever suffer now in this way, now that he's praying the Bible. For my heart, being nourished by the truth, being brought into experiential fellowship with God, I speak to my father and my friend, vile though I am and unworthy of it, about the things that he has brought before me in his precious word. It often now astonishes me that I did not sooner see this point. You see what he's saying? I used to do what everyone in this room just said. I wake up, put my clothes on, I rush in to pray, and I struggle. And I'm discouraged, and my mind wanders. And maybe after a quarter of an hour, half an hour, then I'll, then I'll really, I guess, make a little bit of progress, but that's about it. Now... That's my former way of praying. Now I get up, get dressed, and I rush to the word. And I read his word, and I hear the Father speak to me through his word, and I meditate on his word. And then my heart is warmed and encouraged and stirred. And then I respond to my father and my friend. You see the difference between those two? And I love that last line. Now I just can't believe I never saw this before. And I'm hoping, I mean, I've had a similar experience as Mueller. When I learned how to do this, when I learned how to pray the scriptures, when I learned how to respond to God in prayer, it did feel like a new world. I was a bit angry. No one had ever told me to do this before. I was a bit angry that I was in ministry before learning how to do this because I feel as though after reading God's word and being washed with the gospel and meditating on it and having your heart warmed and then you get to answer your God, you are answering your father and your friend, not someone that you imagine is far off and distant and upset with you because you've just been washed with the gospel that his son has lived the perfect life on your behalf and brought you into his family in Christ. You see the difference between those two. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The problem of prayer's solution is praying the Bible. Okay, so second point, what is praying the Bible? There's two main things I want us to see before we get into the how. Uh, first of all, the Bible is meant to teach us how to pray. We usually spend, rightly so, so much time learning how to study the scriptures, right? read them, study them, get the truth from them, understand the truth rightly, and then there's a giant wall in our brain between that, right, all the truth stuff, all the right answers, and our actual walk with the Lord, our actual fellowship with them, our actual relationship with them. There, there's, for some reason, we've separated those two things in our mind rather than seeing them as united. Again, we, we rush into prayer thinking, where do I start? I don't know what to say. What should I say to him? How do I approach him, right? Is he even listening to me? Right? We have all these problems floating around our mind as we're trying to talk to him, not realizing the Bible speaks to all of those things. The Bible speaks to all of those things. The Bible answers, who is the God that you're praying to? He's a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. As a father shows compassion to his child, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our Iniquities as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The Bible tells you who you're talking to. The Bible tells you he knows the number of hairs 
on your head. The Bible tells you that as you toss and turn at night, he sees you. The Bible tells you that every tear that has left your eyes, he counts. He knows their number. The Bible tells you, as we'll see today, that like a good shepherd, he goes after you when you're lost, when you're wandering. He's the one that pursues you. He's the one that says, it's not my will that any of these little sheep, these wandering sheep should perish. The Bible tells you who you're talking to. The Bible also gives you tons of examples of praying people, okay? So when we see Moses pray, when we see David pray, when we see Daniel pray, when we see Jesus pray, when we see Paul pray, that's meant to be instructive for us. When you see God's wrath about to be poured out on Israel and Paul, I mean, not Paul, Moses intercede for Israel and say, clear us, forgive us for your namesake for your glory to go out so that the the Canaanites might not say, see, God wasn't strong enough to deliver them. That's what Moses prays. Let your glory go forth all the more by forgiving these people. When you pray for strength in evangelism, I typically pray, I think a little bit wrongly, although this isn't a wrong prayer per se, but I'm typically just focused on myself. Lord, I'm a little bit fearful. Give me boldness. And that's fine. It's fine to pray. We see that in Acts. But I don't often pray what I think I should pray, which is because your fame must go forth, I pray that those in my neighborhood will come to know you. And so that those in our city who do not praise your son right now, so that his glory might shine all the more, give us great power in evangelism. You see the difference between those two? I could see Moses praying and say, okay, I need to pray like that. Or you see Daniel praying in Daniel 9 as he's in captivity and he's facing towards Jerusalem and he's anticipating God to bring them out of uh, Babylon. He prays this beautiful long prayer in Daniel 9, but the whole first chunk of it is just praising God for who he is. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are the God that delivers your people, right? He just praises God for who he is before he asks for massive things like deliver us from this 70 years of captivity. You learn from that. There's a massive problem in your life. Don't rush into the massive problem. Start off in your prayer by exalting your massive God who is infinitely bigger than your problems. Daniel teaches us how to pray that way. Jesus, explicitly, the disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. How does he teach us to pray? We see in the Lord's prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Start off with praise. Start off with worship of who your God is. Then pray for God's wonderful will. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Pray that next. Next we see praying for need. Give us our daily bread. We say pray for forgiveness. Forgive us our sins. Pray for protection. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Right? Jesus isn't just giving us a nice prayer in the Bible to read. He's saying pray like this. Right? All those examples of prayer are meant to be instructive. We'll talk in the how-to section on uh, Paul's prayers all through the epistles. We'll give away a book on how to pray with Paul. The scriptures are, are trying to teach you. You want to know what to say? Here, why don't you start with Moses or start with Jesus or start with David or start with Daniel or start with Paul. Look at how they pray as they go before their God on Mount Sinai. Right? Or listen to the son's words in John 17 as he talks to his father. Right? Pray then like this. You see that? Okay, so it's meant to be instructive. And then I could give a whole talk on the next point, uh, the Psalms. The Psalms are the Bible's prayer book, if you want to think about it that way. It was written and compiled so that Israel, as they go to the temple, would pray these prayers, would sing them as worship songs. Again, we could do uh, a whole talk on just how to pray the Psalms, but I just want you for this section to realize God, the one who's sovereign over the scriptures, inspiring the scriptures, puts the Psalms in there to show you how to cry out to him, to show you how to, no matter the situation, no matter the emotion you're feeling, how you can approach God and cry out. And some of the times, if you really see how the psalmist seemingly yell at God, it would make us a little bit uncomfortable. It makes us feel like you're not being very reverent, right, to the holy God of the universe, forgetting that God is the one who actually put that in there. I had a professor who would say the psalmists, you know, are so expecting God to answer their prayers that when he doesn't, they let him have it, right? And so God is putting that in the psalms 
Not to you know, tell you, swear at God or, or curse God or any of the things that would be sinful. None of the psalmists ever do that. But to show you, you can be vulnerable. And you can come to God with your pain. And you can come to God with your disappointment. And you can come to God with your anger. And you can come to God with your joy. And you can come to God with your hopes. There, there is no situation. Uh, I have a quote in here somewhere. Where is it? John Calvin. <laughs> Every situation, John Calvin would say, uh, is, is represented in, in the Psalms. I have been accustomed to call this book, the Psalms, I think not inappropriately, an anatomy, an anatomy of the soul, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be, or can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. There's no emotion you can feel or have, have ever felt or could possibly feel that is not represented in the Psalms. Right? The Lord knows. He doesn't just know macro problems, right? You'll lose your job and that'll be tough. He knows micro problems. He knows the depths of the things that really only you know you're wrestling with, the depth of discouragement or the depth of disappointment that even your closest friends really can't get. He knows. And so he's put 150 prayers, people crying out to you so that you will learn, one, I can I mean, again, one of the most personal, biggest breakthroughs, if you want to call it that, for me in prayer was 10 years ago, just realizing that God allows me to approach him like this. I don't have to come buttoned up with my tie on, Heavenly Father, who art thou, you know, and just think, okay, I got to pray the right prayer so that this gets answered and he knows that I'm reverent. I can, I can be vulnerable. I can be a little bit messy. I mean, look at Psalm 88. I have it there for you. Psalm 88. But I, O Lord, cry out to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you, O Lord. Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth, up I suffer your terror. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all the day long. They close in on me together. Here's the last verse of the psalm. You have caused my beloved and my friends to shun me. My companions have become darkness. A literal way to say that would be, darkness is my only friend. And then the psalm ends with no note of hope. Now you've got to ask yourself, why would God put that in the Bible? There is no, in Psalm 88, but I trust you despite my circumstances. There's none of that. And he's almost accusing God of these things. And so ask yourself, who put this in the Bible? Ultimately, God. Now why? In some sense to show you this is allowed. That there's a depth of sorrow that he understands. But also, look at what the psalmist in Psalm 8 is doing. Where is he taking his pain? At the very least, he's taking it to God. And so Psalm 88 is instructed for you to say, in your greatest depths of sadness, come to me and cry out. And maybe not immediately, but eventually you'll see the light of the gospel that because Christ on the cross was forsaken by the Father, we can know we're actually never forsaken. That because of the resurrection, everything sad will be made untrue. I'll, I'll minister that to you eventually, God might say. But you can come to me with this, right? This is meant to show you how to take your emotions. Athanasius, a quote I skipped, look back up. In the Psalter, you learn about yourself. You find depicted in it all the movements of your soul, all its changes, its ups and downs, its failures and recoveries. Moreover, whatever your particular need or trouble, from this same book you can select a form of words to fit it so you do not merely hear and then pass on, but learn the way to remedy your ill. Okay, we see Psalms like Psalm 42. I won't read it, but you know the famous line maybe. Why are you so downcast? Oh, my soul, rise up, praise God. And so it's, a, it's a, someone whose mind knows God is loving, but his heart isn't feeling it. And so he's yelling at himself. Wake up, soul. Remember your salvation in God. And then crying out to God as the deer pants for the water so my soul longs after you. But he doesn't feel it. He's in this battle with himself. And again, that's, that's meant to be instructive for us. Don't just wake up cold and say, I'll try again tomorrow. 
Join the fight. Right? Go before your God in prayer. We see Psalms like Psalm 145 that shows you, how do you praise him when your heart is just overflowing and you almost don't have words? The Psalms will give you words on how to praise your God. Okay, Don Whitney, another quote. You'll never go through anything in life in which the root emotion is not found in one or more of the Psalms. Thus, the Psalm put, every, or put into expression that which is looking for expression in our hearts, okay? So the Psalms has a, has a kind of particular place, but the whole Bible, that's point number one, the whole Bible is meant to teach you how to pray, okay? It's meant to be instructive for us how to pray. God does not want us just stumbling into the place of prayer saying whatever we can as, as long as our mind isn't wandering and just having this perpetual spiral of discouragement. He loves you. He's your father. You're his child. He redeemed you. He wants communion with you. He wants you to know him. He knows you. He wants you to talk with him, which is our next point, which is my, my much bigger point, kind of the main point of this whole talk. We often view prayer as, as just the second most important spiritual discipline. Study the Bible and pray. But again, there's a wall between those two, and I want to break down this wall. Prayer, I want you to fundamentally think of prayer as responding in a conversation with God that he has started by his word. Think of prayer as answering God, as responding to God, which means he has spoken first to you through his Word. Again, remember who your God is. Why do we have the scriptures? Is it to know truth? Yes, but not just to know truth, right? God could have beamed down an answer book. He could have beamed us down a systematic theology book and made that our scriptures of answer one, answer two. He doesn't. What is the scriptures? It's the story of God's wonderful creation and our terrible rebellion and God sending his wonderful son to bring us back so that we might spend eternity with him, glorifying his wonderful name because of that work he's done through his son. Your God wants to draw you in and commune with him, and so he has spoken through his word. As you're studying the scriptures and seeing the wonderful truths that float up from the pages of scripture, right? That's for you. He's speaking through his word. And so prayer is fundamentally not initiating a conversation. Rather, it's responding to a conversation that's been initiated by God. You see those, those radically two different things. Just grasping that, you'll never again, I mean, you maybe will if you're, if you're tempted, but you'll never rock up to the place of prayer and think, I'm yelling at a God who's far off and not paying attention, right? That's Baal and his prophets. That's not Yahweh. That's not our father. Our father is the one who has never taken his eyes off of us. Even before he said, let there be light, he knew your name. Our God has initiated the conversation that we respond to. We often get it so backwards because we miss this fact. Daniel Brinsdale, who wrote a book on, it's a relatively new book called Answering Speech on this idea of prayers answering God, says this, true prayer is communicative and relational. Prayer is not a strategy or mechanism to get things done. It's not a magical incantation to control the outcomes of events. It's not thinking right thoughts. It is part of a dialogue. Any growth in the life of prayer is necessarily a maturing in relationship with the one whom we would address in prayer. Or a shorter quote from Tim Keller in his book on prayer. Prayer is continuing a conversation that God has started through his word and his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. More Charles Spurgeon that called prayer a holy dialogue. I've got that quote in there somewhere. Again, like with meditation, I, I wanted to saturate you with quotes from church history to show you this is a historical practice of the church that we've kind of lost in our day. Same with meditation. It's, a, it's the normal way of going before the Lord throughout church history, and we've kind of lost it in our day. Same with praying the Bible. So I won't, I won't read all those quotes, but I've got them all there so that you just see how, uh, how normal this used to be. God starting a conversation through his word. We respond in prayer. That, by the way, is why we start our Sunday service with a call to worship. The first words after announcements uh, is not us praying, God, please be in our midst as we gather to worship you, right? That would be backwards. Rather, God speaks through his word, right? God calls us to worship, and we respond to him in our praise, in our songs, right? Same with prayer. We're responding 
to God. A couple quotes I won't read. By the way, last thing before we move on to the, the practical how-to. This is how you enjoy your prayer life. I mean, of course we're bored. We rock up, we don't think anything about the God that we're talking to, and we just go through a list. And it just kind of either bounces off the ceiling or he hears it, but there's no real encounter happening. Of course we're bored. We don't have anything to focus our mind, anything wonderful that's swirling around our mind as we're talking like the one that we're talking to made the heavens and holds the stars in the sky. Of course we're miserable. Of course we just feel this emptiness and it just becomes this duty that we just begrudgingly hate but we know we're supposed to do. And Of course. But you see this? You see the God who makes the most mighty volcano look like an anthill knowing you loving you, caring for you, sending his son to bring you in so that, not just that you won't go to hell, but so that you eternally have joy in him, that every day in eternity is better than the last. Every bite of food is more wonderful than the last. You have nothing but eternal joy to look forward to. You see that God with his eyes fixed on you? I can enjoy a conversation with that God. I can enjoy fellowship with that God. That is how your prayer life gets set on fire. That's how it's not this begrudging duty. It's, it's a delight. Hear God speaking to you first, okay? That's what praying the Bible is. And now uh, we've got 30 minutes and we're gonna do some exercises together, which are awkward because we're not, like alone. We're not gonna have time to like meditate and all pray together. But I wanna make sure you at least feel kind of equipped to know the steps to this, okay? So uh, let's just walk through how. How do you do this? And there is no kind of one way. So what I'm, I, I'm going to do is just give you a whole lot of ways to do it, and then maybe just depending on the situation, you can see which one fits, okay? Make sense? Okay, so how do we pray the Bible? Okay, I'm going to give you a bunch of different methods. First one is the main diet, okay? So uh, forget everything I just said about you know, whatever. This is the main thing. This is kind of the quiet time way. And then I'm going to give you a bunch of other stuff, okay? So the main thing would be just what we've talked about, answering God based on what you've just studied in his word. So take Lee's lesson on how to study the Bible. Take my lesson on meditating on the Bible. You're doing that in the morning. You've, st- you've read the word. You've studied the word. You've meditated on the word. How does this make God wonderful? How does this uh, make the gospel beautiful? You're you're letting the truth swirl around in your heart until your heart is warmed and you're just feeling either the conviction of the Spirit or you're just lost in the wonder of who your God is. Then you respond to him in prayer. Okay? So that's the P at the end of the Roy map, prayer. You've done all the Bible study, you've done the meditating, and now you're responding in prayer. Okay? So again, this is main diet. This is your, your quiet time, if you will. If, if you want to go with the classic, wake up in the morning, study the Bible and pray. Just remove the wall between those two and make prayer a response to what you just studied and what you just meditated on. This is what George Mueller is talking about, right? When in his description of kind of the life-changing thing, he used to wake up, go pray. Now he wakes up, studies, meditates. He's encouraged, he's convicted, he's stirred. Then he talks to his father and his friend. Then he prays. Right? And so then you're just even, you're praying in response. You can be in Joshua, you could be in Ephesians. doesn't matter. Whatever the Lord is stirring, what the Spirit is stirring in your heart, you're responding to him in prayer. And the important thing with this, the important thing with this that I mentioned briefly, and I'll spend a little bit more time here, I mentioned briefly in my talk on meditation, is meditation, meditating on the Bible is, if you, if you will, uh, I think Don Whitney says, it's the bridge between Bible reading and prayer. The, meditating on the Bible is what breaks down that wall. Okay, so meditation is the missing link. That's what Don Whitney says. Again, we did a whole theological whooping class on meditating on the scriptures and why we must do this. But you study, you get the, get the content, but then you meditate. You warm your heart and then you respond in prayer. William Bates, who's an old Puritan, says, the great reason why our prayers are ineffectual is because we do not meditate before them. Okay, George Swinock, two quotes down, says, meditation best begin- is the best beginning of prayer and prayer is the best conclusion of meditation. Okay, so that's, that's a really key point 
in taking your Bible study and prayer and merging them, that, that meditation piece, okay? So again, that's the main dialogue. That's the, that's, or that's the main diet. That's the holy dialogue that Charles Spurgeon talks about. David Mathis, who, who wrote uh, one of the books we gave away a while ago called Habits of Grace, says this about just kind of this whole process. First, we speak, uh, first he, God, speaks to us in his word, and we welcome what he has to say. We listen. We linger over it. We meditate on it. Then, once we have heard him all the way through, then we respond in prayer. We reverently talk back in the wonder we call prayer. Prayer is not only meditation's handmade, but also its apex. We not only pray that God will give us eyes to see, but also once we have seen and been aptly moved by his words, we respond back to him in adoration, confession, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So if you're in a community group uh, or know anything about our community groups, this is kind of how we structured what we do when we meet in community group. We take the scriptures and we go through the Roy map. We read and observe and interpret, and then we take some time to think and meditate on how does this make God wonderful? How does this make the gospel more beautiful? All those sorts of things. We think through application. How does this apply to us? And then we respond after doing all that study work and after letting it kind of just weigh on our hearts and warm us with just how wonderful and unthinkable the gospel is, we respond to God in prayer. Right? So if I'm convicted, I might respond by saying, Father, forgive me. Right? I've just read this. It's convicted me that I don't do this. Forgive me and help me by your spirit. Or if I'm just overwhelmed by God's goodness and wonder, I might just, I might pray, Father, you are wonderful. I might just praise him in my prayer. You're wonderful, you're majestic. Or I might feel convicted that I don't often recognize his wonder and say, Father, open my eyes. I passed so many trees and clouds on my way to work, just blind, just thinking about nothing. Think about a YouTube video or nothing that matters, and yet your beauty is all around, your creative hands all around. Just please open my eyes. You see that? You could take the scriptures and then just whatever the Lord is stirring, respond in prayer. Okay, so that's the main diet. Again, our community groups kind of do that. So why don't we do this together? Again, it's, it's going to be weird because we're not going to all actually pray. But let's take, I have, a, I have in your notes Hebrews uh, 1, 1 through, two, uh, 1 through 3. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to read it. You guys read along with me. And then we'll say, we'll go through those two points. What is God saying through his word? Right? What is kind of the truth that's floating up? And then we'll list a bunch of things. And then I just want us to say, you know, imagine we meditate. We don't have time to meditate together. But imagine we do those steps. And then ask that second question. Based off of that truth, based off what God has said in his word, how might we, what are some of the ways that we could respond in prayer? Okay? Okay. I take your silence and blank stares as a, sure, let's do this together. Uh, Okay, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sin he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay, so again, imagine you've read it. Imagine we have time to study it and all those sorts of things. But that first question, what are some of the things, some of the truths, if you will, that are just kind of floating to the top of this passage? If you're mining this passage, what are some of the things that God is saying in his word here? Yeah. God speaks to us through his son. Jesus showing up is not just good heroes here. It's God's speech. God's word has come down, and he's speaking us through his son, okay? What else? Maybe I should write this down. He's the king. You guys are going to make fun of my handwriting and spelling. What else? created the world through his son. Yeah. Purification for sin. I'm going to stop writing because I can't do that. <laughs> I was like, I'm halfway through the second one and you guys are on number five. 
Purification for sin, yeah. Okay, so that's good. Okay, I guess, yeah, I'm just right, sin. There you go. Okay, so what are some of the ways? Imagine we meditated on these things. Again, go back and listen to the teaching on meditation. Don't just let truth sit here in the abstract. We all know these things, created the world, and that they could just become abstract, floating things that cool their facts in our heads. Meditate on them. Take them. Make them soak into your heart until your heart catches on fire. There's a whole lesson on that. But imagine we've just done that. Now, what are some of the ways that we can respond through in prayer? God's just said these incredible, wonderful things. How might we respond? Showing our thankfulness. Yeah, thanksgiving. Father, you're wonderful. You're the king of the universe. Your son upholds everything by the word of his power. Thank you. Thank you that I don't have to do that. How quickly the world would fall apart. Right? Thank you that you did this and you're good. Right? This is all your initiative. Yeah, you could just praise God. You could just thank him for all that he's done. What else? Wonder. Wonder? Yeah, just stand in awe. We see that in Psalm 8. The psalmist is just outside looking at the stars, and he said, when I see the works of your fingers in the heavens, what is man that you're mindful of him and his jaw's just on the floor and he's just sitting there? Now, you can look at this and just say, <laughs> you're the king of the universe and that you, you, you made purification for sin? Like, I'm in awe that God would do that and not just wipe us out as he rightly could. Yeah, just stand in wonder. You could, I mean, you can pray without words. You could speechlessly pray. The Lord knows the cries of your heart. Just sit and wonder. What else? Respect for his authority. Yeah. Respect for his authority. Just recognizing in the same way that, you know, we see the disciples hit the ground. Peter hits the ground in the Gospel of Luke. Whenever the miracle is done, they catch all the fish. When he meets Jesus, depart from me, I'm a man of unclean lips. There's just this realization of, I'm standing before the king of the universe. This father and friend that I have in God is the king of the universe, is giving me my next heartbeat, holds my life in his hand. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. I'm speaking reverently, right, to the holy king of the universe who by his grace loves me. It's great. Anything else? Confidence, confess our need. Did I get those right? Yeah. Yeah, both of those things. Father, praise you that how much of this do I have a part in? Zero. <laughs> I don't help uphold the world. I don't wipe away my own sin, right? Expressing confidence. Thank you. Give me that. I mean, I'm so quick to grab control and think I'm in control of my life. Keep my hands open for those things. And then, yeah, I'm convicted. I, I need you. And I so often act like I don't. And you can repent. You can pray a prayer of repentance. So you see how all those are so different? Again, the... One of the biggest kind of initial negative reactions to this idea of praying the Bible is, ah, so formulaic, it's not authentic, right? Uh, and then, so we don't do it, and I'm, I'm showing you how ridiculous that is. How all of those things just depends on what is the Spirit, you know, stirring in your heart? What is, how is the, the Spirit choose to use the living and active word to press upon your heart? Is it to stand and wonder? Is it to hit the ground because you're so convicted of sin? You can do both of those things. Okay, so you see this. This is kind of the main diet. Okay, that was a great exercise. And so the next thing I have here, acts, is that same thing, just a bit more if you want more structure. Okay, so example one that I just gave, notice we didn't have any uh, kind of steps to follow other than what is God saying and how can we respond. A next kind of common thing, I think even Luther was the first one to create this idea, it was you do the, the study, meditate, and then respond in prayer, but as you're either, let's just say it's a, a morning, which happens to every human being, I'm just tired. And I am just peculiarly, my mind is just wandering. I'm even studying and my mind's still wandering. I'm meditating, my mind's still wandering. But I want to, I do want to be disciplined and go through God's word. Okay, so I'm at prayer, and I'll just be honest with myself, I haven't really felt stirred in these ways, or let's just say you're somebody who's more type A and like structure, which is totally fine. Uh, this acronym ACTS uh, is something people go through. Is there in this passage something that I can adore about God? Is there a sin I can confess? Is there thanksgiving I can give? How can I thank God? And then supplication. Is there a request I can make? Okay, so ACTS is just a helpful, helpful way to Remember that. So if you get to that prayer step and you just want a bit more structure, that's a, that's a pretty common way. Again, I'm just trying to equip you with as many ways as possible. So look at Matthew 28. Let's just do this real quick. Matthew 28. 
And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so what in there is, let's do the A, what in there is something we can adore? I'm with you. Yeah. He isn't just saying, hey, I just did it and I'm leaving. Your turn. As he's saying, your turn and you're going to be sheep among wolves and you're going to get beaten pretty quickly. I'm with you always to the end of age. Father, who are you? I mean, that is amazing. I adore you for that. Yeah. Okay, so sin to confess. Yeah, I have not been doing Matthew 28. Yeah, I haven't been. I haven't gone, therefore, and made disciples of all nations. I've sat in my house and been pretty comfortable. Right, Father, forgive me. Forgive me. I confess to you that I have not been following your son's great commission. Forgive me and give me the strength to do it. Yeah, sin to confess. Okay, uh, what, what about Thanksgiving? How can I thank God? What in this passage? Wonderful what? Yeah, wonderful plan. Yeah, your glory is going to spread through your disciples, making disciples that you're going to be with, and you're the one with all authority. Thank you that yeah, our strategies would have been way worse since it's not up to us. You're the one commissioning us. Yeah, absolutely. And then supplication, a request, what we would, probably the most typical way we pray, God, can you do this? <laughs> can you give me this thing or whatever? What's something we could request of God based off of reading Matthew 28. Courage, Courage and then whatever Caroline just said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Tie it to another prayer that Jesus has said to explicitly pray. Yeah, Lord, help us. This is no small thing. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations. That is a massive, massive commission. And we need courage and we need boldness that we see the disciples pray for in Acts 4. And we need laborers, we need people to do it. I mean, think about it. We're here and it starts with 12 people. How did that happen? Because many laborers went into the ready field. Okay, so you see that. So if, you're, if you like structure, there's a helpful one. There's, there's more like that. You can even make your own if you want. Uh, or if you, if you want to try and do the first, you, do, you want no structure, but then it's just a day where you're having a tough time. Just, just lean back on Acts. Okay, so those two are pretty similar. Again, that's kind of the main diet. Next, uh, pray with Paul. D.A. Carson wrote an excellent book that we'll give away uh, at the end of this teaching where basically he just highlights Paul. I mean, other uh, books in the Bible do this as well. But Paul, in his letters to the churches, so many of them have throughout, and particularly at the beginning, Paul's just prayers where he just says, I pray this for you. And then we get a paragraph of his prayers. I put four in there. There's way more than four. Uh, and so when you're praying for this church, which I hope you do, uh, and when you're driving through Allen and pray for Zoe Community Church, which I hope you do, and when you pray for your brothers and sisters in the directory, which is why we gave those to you, so that you'd be praying for one another, uh, a great way to pray, especially if you're feeling like how so many of us often feel, which is like, I don't know what to say, uh, bless them, generic, uh, you know, just like you say in generic God words, Look at what Paul prays for the Ephesians. Look what Paul prays for the Thessalonians. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Paul wants to come see them. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father and, to, uh, and at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Paul praying specifically, Father, I mean, he's praying it in his words, I pray that their love abounds for one another. I pray that the love they have for one another just keeps increasing and it keeps rooting them down in holiness, right? You can look and see, that's what Paul prays. It's a prayer the Lord's given us in scripture. It's probably a pretty good prayer to pray for our church, that our love for one another would just keep growing that it wouldn't plateau, right? That our, uh, we would keep seeing one another as brothers and sisters in Christ that we're gonna spend eternity with being conformed more and more into the image of Christ and that our hearts just keep melting and keep abounding in love, 
right? As we serve one another, as we bear one another's burdens, right? That's what's all in that prayer. Again, Colossians, I've got that one there. Look down at Ephesians 3. This is my favorite prayer in the whole Bible. Uh, For this reason, I bow my knee to the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, Ephesians, or grant you, Parkway Church, that I pray when I'm praying for our church or praying for you in the directory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, and that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So he prays two impossible things. Know what cannot be known. Know what surpasses all knowledge. Know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge and be filled with the fullness of God. That is a massive prayer. It can't get any bigger. And Paul prays it for the Ephesian church. And I pray it for you. That this would be a place that the human beings in this church, that the members of this church would be strengthened in their inner being by the power of the Spirit, that the love of Christ would so be abounding in their mind, it just spills out. That you would comprehend the uncomprehendable, the infinite love that Jesus Christ has for you. And you would be filled with the fullness of God. And because he prays two impossible prayers, I love how he ends his prayer. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so there's another way to pray the Bible. Take Paul's prayers as a model and take his prayers on your lips and pray it for each other and pray it for our church and pray for churches that we partner with, right? Churches that we love, right? Okay, we won't do an exercise. We're running short on time on that. And then uh, lastly, or I guess two more things, praying the Psalms. I'll, I'll go through this somewhat quickly. So praying the Psalms, we already talked about a little bit. There's three main approaches to praying the Psalms. There's, there's more, but the three main ones would be uh, kind of something we've already discussed, just taking the overall message of the Psalm and just responding to God in prayer, right? You read something like Psalm 27, and you see that in the midst of crowding enemies, there's this confidence because the Lord is surrounding him and his strength is so obvious. And in the midst of certain death, he asks God for one thing and it's not protection from his enemies. It's that he might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. You just read it and you just think about it, meditate on it, and then just respond in prayer. Whether God, I don't do this. I, I don't give a thought about your beauty. Forgive me. Or God, this is all I want. Set my eyes on your beauty. Basically, just what we talked about, just in the Psalms. Uh, number two, enter into the Psalms. Take the psalmist words upon your lips, similar to what we were talking about with Paul. Augustine talks about this. Turn the words of the psalmist into your own words. Okay, so Psalm 103. You pray, not reading the prayer of somebody else. Again, this is just counterintuitive for us to do. Uh, but you can grow in this, and you should grow in this. Take the words of the prayers in the scriptures that God has given, them, given you on your own lips, like in Psalm 23 or Psalm 63, O Lord, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Make that a Jared Lawson prayer or a Rob Broomham prayer. Just take the, take the psalmist's words on your lips and pray them back to God. That is one of the reasons why the psalms are in the Bible, for you to take them as your own, so they act just kind of a guide, okay? And then third, this is uh, what, again, Don Whitney would talk about in one of the books we'll give away. Uh, pray through the psalms and just whatever the Spirit brings to your mind as you pray verse by verse, just pray. So it's the most practical, it's, it's, it's very helpful. So I have a long quote I'll read uh, from him where he says this, praying the Bible means talking to God about what comes to mind as you read the Bible. Usually you might read a passage first and then go back and pray through what you just read. So for instance, he uses Psalm 23. If today you turn to Psalm 23 in your devotional reading, after completing it, you would come back to verse one and pray what occurs to you as you read, the Lord is my shepherd. You might think, you might think 
the Lord for being your shepherd. Ask him to shepherd you in a decision that is before you. Entreat him to cause your children to love him as their shepherd too. And pray anything else that comes to mind as you consider Psalm 23, verse 1. Then, when nothing else uh, in these words prompts you to prayer, continue uh, to the next line and go to, I shall not want, and so on and so forth through the psalm, line by line, until you run out of time. So he basically just says, read a verse and then just ring it clean. Whatever is popping into your mind, the Lord is my shepherd, Father, praise you, my shepherd. Forgive me when I don't see you as a shepherd. I pray that my kids would know your shepherding hand, that they wouldn't have to wrestle through you just being a big, powerful being only, but a powerful shepherd who cares for them, just whatever's popping into your mind, and then when you run dry, verse two, okay? So I try and do that just during lunch breaks, stuff like that. Like after lunch, when it's like, I, I'm, I'm about to start work again, but I just, a quick, uh, a quick hit of prayer, if you will, I just turn to a psalm, and we'll pray through for about however many minutes, how much time I have, and then move on. So that's the most practical. And then the last thing uh, is just uh, very generic, but... Uh, Praying the Bible doesn't have to be look for explicit prayers in the Bible and then pray those, like Paul. You can take Matthew 28 and pray that over Parkway. You can take uh, passages like Acts 2 that describes them devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to fellowship and awe coming upon every soul and the Lord adding to their number day by day and just pray, Father, I pray that you would make Acts 2 a Parkway reality. I pray that you would make Matthew 28 the norm here, that we would make disciples and that we would know Jesus with us and that we would know all authority has been given to him. Just take big chunks of prayer that are incredible. Be strong and courageous, God tells Joshua. Father, I pray for my elders that they're strong and courageous, not because they're awesome fighters, but because they know you're with them. I just take chunks of the Bible and pray that over, again, the church or, again, individuals within the church. Take passages like Galatians 5 and just pray uh, Lord, I pray that Keith would bear the fruit of the Spirit, that he would be loving, that he would be joyful, that he would be patient and kind, that he would be good and faithful, that you would make him gentle, you would make him self-controlled. Just take the Bible and let that form your prayers, okay? And if there's people you regularly pray for, family members, things like that, get a card, write a Bible verse on it, right? right? Jim, and just put, you know, I won't let, don't let others look down on you because you're young. Father, I pray that, imagine Jim's young in this analogy. Father, I pray that he would be set an example in his conduct and his speech and not let others look down on him because they're young. Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying here? Just take passages and pray that over them. So as we close, my suggestion would just be, again, I just give you a bunch of different methods. My suggestion would be just structure your day with different methods. Okay, so when you wake up in the morning and you're kind of having your classic quiet time or whatever, use the first, Right? Study, meditate on the scriptures, respond to God in prayer. And then, yeah, say it's lunchtime and you just got a smaller window. Pray through one of the Psalms. Uh, either use the Don Whitney method, just use any of these methods. And say it's evening time and, and you're about to go to bed. Maybe pray with Paul. You know, take Ephesians 1. Take 1 Thessalonians 3 and pray for Parkway. Or pray for your brothers and sisters at your, the, the directory page that you're on. Right? You can scatter these kind of throughout your day. And I think the, the benefit of having... Such a wide variety is that you can fit a approach based on your mood, right? Based on how you're feeling, based on if you're tired or if you ate some bad foods, so you're not really feeling like you're in the third heaven, right, as you're praying. Okay, so again, last thing before we close, I want you to remember, what's the goal of all of this? We just did a lot of practical stuff pretty quickly. The goal isn't just we've got the right methods. The goal is communion with God. The goal is delighting in the God who, in whom we live and move and have our being, right? The goal is this holy discourse. And what you'll find is the more you do this and the more you practice this and the more God grows you in this relationship, you'll find yourself just doing it on walks. You'll look at the heavens at nighttime. You'll see the stars and Psalm 8 will pop into your head. You'll feel the breeze and you'll just think about how the spirit moves. And you'll just begin to have this holy discourse with the Lord all the time, right? And that, that is the goal, right? You don't have a quiet time in the morning to kind of store up spiritual points for the rest of the day. You're doing it to, as an old Scottish pastor, Robert Ray McShane would say, to give the eye of the heart the habit of looking up always, to just continually be just in communion and fellowship with God. That is what we're after when we talk about these methods, is that 
we know and love the one that knows and loves us. Make sense? Okay, let me pray for us. We'll give away some books and then have uh, a little over, uh, but we'll have time for a question or two. Father, we love you. Thank you that we know who you are because your scriptures tell us. Thank you that we can take your wonderful words on our lips and pray them back to you. And that though you did hang the stars, you are mindful of man, so much so you sent your son to bring us into your family. Uh, And so I pray for us that you would teach us how to talk to you. As the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. We love you and pray in your son's name. Amen.